the Reclaimer Saga begins. Today on Video Gameography, the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises in history, one title at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And today we have a very special guest. You might be familiar with him. He's the executive editor at IGN. He's host of Ride the Lightning. Ryan McCaffrey, how's it going? Thanks for having me, guys. It's fun to be here. Any chance I get to talk Halo is a good day, so I'm, I'm uh, more than happy to accept your invitation. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on to talk Halo 4. We've, you know, we've been doing Halo since, uh, well, I don't know, four or five weeks now. So yeah. me and Marcus have talked plenty about Halo. But since you're just joining us, do you want to give us a primer on your love for the franchise in general? What you thought of Halo 4? Definitely. Yeah. So for me, I go back. Uh, I joined official Xbox magazine after I graduated from college in the fall of 2002. So Halo 1 had been out and the Xbox had been out for about a year at that point. And so uh, I jumped in when they when they when OXM said, hey, we'll give you we're bringing you out for a job interview. I thought, OK, well, I guess it's time to buy an Xbox then because I was a PC guy at that point. Ooh. So I bought went out and bought an Xbox. And of course, had to buy Halo because that was I'd heard about it like, OK, it's this big deal title for the for this console. I love first person shooters and I had to train myself uh, to play on a gamepad, which obviously that Halo did that for many people, but fell in love with Halo one all the same. And it's a, it's a such a great game and, and multiplayer uh, famously at OXM. We would play every day at five o'clock. You would hear someone would would boot it up and you'd hear the bungee splash screen and then you'd hear the chanting monks when, when it got to the title screen. And that's it was a Pavlovian response. Everyone would stop and fire their uh, their game up and we would we would get into Halo one. And so uh, that was that was my introduction to the franchise. And and then uh, Halo two it gun to my head. Two is probably my favorite out of out of all of them, uh, narrowly over one, because for me, two, the multiplayer was it really was transformational for the entire industry. I mean, that that online matchmaking system did things that PC gaming wasn't doing at the time. And then on through Halo three and uh, at, for Halo four, I was I had joined IGN. I'd left official Xbox magazine after almost 10 years and I had joined IGN in, uh, I guess, about what, six about six months before Halo 4 came out. So that was one of my first real high profile reviews and, and big games that I covered when I got to IGN. And, and I tell you, I really loved Halo 4. I mean, I gave it a 9.8 at the time. We had the 100 point scale still. Uh, I just think it's it's an incredibly personal Master Chief story. Even like Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, had more to do in four than probably one through three combined. And that's no disrespect to Bungie. Just three, four, three kind of uh, made it more about the chief and his relationship with Cortana. And I really love that. And I thought, you know, there was a lot of great gameplay elements to it. And then for me, five completely crap the bed. I've uh, anybody that that has listened to my podcast <laughs> has heard me rail against Halo 5's horrible campaign many, many times. And now here we are with Infinite, which I also I did not review Halo 5 for IGN, uh, but I did review Infinite just this past November and very happily, almost in a <laughs> sigh of relief that I was so thrilled to give it a nine. I think Infinite's great. So that's my sort of quick and dirty history with the series. Yeah, that's great. You're like, just give me the good ones. I'll just take those. <laughs> There's only been one that I really didn't like. The rest have been varying degrees of awesome. 
Being an old school PC guy, do you do you ever check out Halo on PC? Are you playing Infinite on oh, PC? Oh yeah, uh, I I played Halo One uh, on PC, the Gearbox port. Sure, uh, that which was a really good port. They added several new, very good maps. Uh, there was a map called Infinity. And you could play them online. Yeah, like, they're in, I mean they're thing. in the Master Chief collection now. It's all there. Uh, but yeah, the Gearbox maps were really good. Uh, and the, and the Halo One PC port was excellent. I I don't think I ever really spent any time with Halo Two Vista and the the two extra multiplayer maps for that, uh, which I only saw later in the Master Chief Collection. Those are actually not great because Halo Two's part of the reason I love Halo Two so much is the the complement of multiplayer maps in that game might be the single greatest collection of maps. Like there's just not a dud in the entire batch until you get to those two Halo 2 Vista maps. I mean, <laughs> Halo 2's uh, maps are all just like you just say the name and I can instantly see it and, and I can do the same to you. And it's uh, it's incredible. But I, I, we're getting off track. But yes, Halo, I have played some time. I've spent some time with Halo on PC, but even I'll tell you with Infinite, I've stuck to the Series X. I just I just love Halo as a console experience. And I know it's great on PC, but. But I've been uh, I've been sticking with it on on the console. Well, first time on the show, so don't worry. We we have no tracks here. We're wide open no. train set. Yeah, yeah, it was free roaming trains. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I'm already rambling so much that like yeah. your audience is already like, does this guy shut up? Does he stop talking? <laughs> no, it's perfect. I'll just mute you if I have to. I have the I have the power. What are you doing talking on this audio <laughs> podcast? <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, Ryan, I'm kind of there with you. I I'm a fan of four. I think four gets a bad rep this day and age. I don't think people remember when it released. It was generally pretty well received. I don't think it was until, you know, the release of Master Chief Collection and five that people sort of retroactively looked back and been and were like, oh, I don't I don't think three, four, three was a good fit for the Halo franchise. But when four released, people were like, oh, great. Halo's good. Master Chief's back. Uh, 343 is doing a good job. I think that was the general sentiment. I definitely remember, and maybe this is just vocal minority at the time, you know, and as the Twitter sphere was was growing in 2012, it wasn't what it is now. I definitely remember there being a vocal undercurrent of of dislike and animosity towards four and towards three, four, three specifically, just because they weren't Bungie, you know, Bungie had voluntarily left this franchise behind. You're not Bungie. I don't want to play. I don't like Halo four. And, and unfortunately, as you noted, yeah, the, the three, four, three would go on to have a pretty bad run for a while from fall of 2014 when we were all the Halo fans, all of us, we were so excited for Master Chief Collection. This was this was like this unprecedented package where it was all going to be folded under one roof and you could play multiplayer in any of them and you could just skip right around and it was going to be so great. And then it just didn't work. And then one year later, we got Halo 5, which I'll I'll clarify by saying fantastic multiplayer Great mm. multiplayer in Halo 5, but just an absolute garbage, <laughs> just a trash pile <laughs> of a campaign relative to other Halos. The mechanics are great. The visuals are excellent. But just story wise, it was really a, such a disappointment. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, 343 has definitely had their ups and downs with the franchise. And I'm I'm really happy that they've that they've pulled off such a great game with Infinite and, and that the community sentiment for 343 and for Halo in general is is riding high again. Like as a Halo fan, that just makes me so happy. I like that we treated 343 as like an unwanted step parent. Like when they first came in, you're like, oh, you're not my yeah, real dad. 
<laughs> then had to earn our had to earn our trust after you know they they fumbled a few times, but you know a few trips to Disney World, a, a nice birthday <laughs> gift here and there, and now we're like, you know what? I guess you're all right. Snoo Dad's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, again, we don't need to get into it this episode, but yeah, that Master Chief Collection when that came out, people were like, "Boo, hiss!" And I feel like they've They've done good by it by sticking with it yes. for so long. And they did the work. I mean, the it took them a long time. I mean, that is the one thing I'll say about the gaming community is it is it can be fickle. It can it can turn on you in a dime, whether you're a game, whether you're whoever you are. But if you show the work, you can win them back. I mean, No Man's Sky is probably the most famous example of that. Yeah, that's right. A great where, example. I mean, where Sean Murray was again, and I don't condone this whatsoever. This was atrocious. But he was getting death threats after No Man, after a video game that, that he may helped make came out. But then you look a few years later, I mean, No Man's Sky is absolutely beloved now because Hello Games did the work. And I think, Ben, that's a great example, too, is Master Chief Collection was broken when it shipped. The online component was broken, but 343 over a long, it took a long, long time. They did the work. And now Master Chief Collection is awesome. It's, it's what it should have been originally. And the, the community is very positive about Master Chief's That's collection right. now. And there's still hope for the quiet man then. If those devs just keep working on it, keep putting out updates. Cannot believe you've uttered the name of that game on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, what's your history with Halo 4? What do you think of that game? I like Halo 4. I came to it much later via the Master Chief collection, as most of the games in this series. And it's got a bit of personal attachment to me because uh, when this game uh, was coming out, I went to Comic-Con in 2012. Microsoft was in full Halo 4 promotion mode. And they had uh, Steve Downs there, the voice of Master Chief, as well as uh, Cortana's voice actress, whose name just flew out of my head. And Taylor? Okay, there we go. (laughs) They were doing an autograph session. And at this point, like my experience with Halo was uh, one and two multiplayer, which as we talked about in those episodes, I was really into, especially Halo 2's multiplayer. So it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. They're just there. And the line wasn't like long at all, surprisingly. So I was like, I'm going to go meet Master Chief. That'll be cool. And went up there, got to talk to him for a bit. Nice guy. He didn't just sign my little Halo 4 poster. He like talked to me for a bit. And what was weird was that he sounded just like Master Chief, which I was like, I don't know if he's just doing this. Or maybe that's just what his voice just naturally sounds like. I know he's a, a radio DJ or he was. I think he retired. Yeah, Long time um, radio guy. Yeah, which still amuses me. But yeah, he's just like, you know, asking, like, oh, where you're where you're, I can't do a Master Chief. Like, where you're from, Marcus and whatever. <laughs> but um, to this day, I still have a framed Halo 4 poster that says finish the fight marcus on it so that maybe that's why i went into halo 4 so positive like you know what this game's gonna be all right because master chief was nice to me i i love too that that line that was a line in two and then the tagline for three and then they've just been people are still referencing finish the fight that that's still something that's still out there even when the fight started over again we were still that's right we're still (laughs) trying to finish it every time we're gonna finish that yeah, the 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 my favorite one liner from Steve Downs from Master Chief is still it, it, if I watch this trailer or is ultimately became a cutscene in Halo 2, but it's the original Halo 2 trailer and it's you know they're they're going to they're going to take the the bomb and hand deliver it back to the Covenant ship and everything's going to hell and the the blast doors open and Cortana and he's going to jump out of the ship. Mm. And, it, and it's uh she says, "What if you miss?" Cause he's just jumping into the void of space, trying to like aim himself like a human 
you know, lawn dart towards this uh-huh. covenant ship. And it's just, yeah, what if you miss? And he just goes, I won't. And it's just, it's still like, I, I said <laughs> it, I'm not even him. And even just remembering it get, made, made me the, ar- the hair on my arm stand up. I love that line. It will, it will always be great. Master Chief is a good lesson in confidence. If you can get yes. even an eighth of his confidence, you'll go pretty far in this world, I think. Yeah, it helps that he delivers. That too. We need to go augment ourselves and become child soldiers and all that good stuff, I think. Yeah, he's but. Steve Downs. He's a great guy. I interviewed him years ago. And uh, it, during the pandemic, uh, during the, the sort of first chunk of it in 2020, I uh, can't say last year anymore, but 2020, uh, he he was on Cameo. And he was uh, hmm. specifically, I, I guess I'd seen a tweet or something because I follow him on Twitter. He was doing cameos and specifically donating all the money uh, for it, for his his fee towards, I believe it was some sort of covid relief. And I thought, well, this I mean, this I didn't know he was on cameo and it's like a doubly good thing because he's 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 uh, generously given his portion to a, a great cause. So I I just. I booked a cameo with him and had him record a, a bumper for Podcast Unlocked, which is how we start the show every week. That's and fun. it is like that's the best. I spent that money out of my own pocket. Like that's not I was like, I don't it was fine. It was great. It's still I, I it's like my favorite part of Unlocked is just starting with him every week. That's Did amazing. you get some extra birthday wishes or anything else out of that? Or was that the I should have booked another one? Yeah, I should have done more. <laughs> Uh, I actually actually I did. I did book one more. I had him do a bumper for my Tesla podcast as well. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I wrote a silly little thing about how the Cybertruck looks like a warthog. So, uh, <laughs> you know, which I'm hardly the first person to to point that out. But in any case, yeah, Steve Downs, excellent human being and a brilliant voice actor. Awesome. Marcus, did you ever say whether or not you like this game or not? I don't know if we. Yeah, got I like this game a lot. Um, I think the story is my favorite outside of uh, Reach. And a lot of it is because, uh, like Ryan mentioned before, it's a more personal story with Master Chief. To me, like, and I've said this in previous episodes, where like, I like Halo's lore, but it hasn't like seized me the way it has a lot of other fans. To me, it's just like, oh, it's, it's there. It's just the cool sci-fi thing. Some things I had trouble understanding the first time around about like, who are these guys? Why are we fighting them? What is this prophecy? You know, but this of just being like, Oh, this is just about master chief trying to help his friend who's sick. And everyone thinks that she's bad, but he's like, refuses to believe that like that clicked with me immediately of like, okay, that's like a conflict I can get behind and everything else around it was like fine. But that was the thing that was like, no, I want to see if, if he's going to be able to get Cortana help. That's wow. And then he kind of makes you realize, like, yeah, I guess I do care about Cortana more than I realized. <laughs> so, yeah. And also, you know, playing it as late as I did in the Master Chief Collection, playing the earlier Halo games was a little rough because, you know, first person shooters have come a long way. And at least me personally, I like faster paced things. Earlier Halo games are a lot slower. You couldn't re- run at all in those games. And that took a while to get used to. Halo 4 was the first one that felt like a modern FPS game. So it was just more fun to play just as a video game. <laughs> so I was like, I, and I remember thinking, cause like, Oh, why are people kind of down on this game? Like this plays great. It looks great. I think the stories, the, like I said, it, it's, it's clicking with me the most than any of the other ones outside of reach. So I was like, I don't really understand what the, uh, the hate is exactly here, but I think you guys kind of hit the nail on the head that it was, it seems to be more retroactive dislike more than anything. Yeah, well, and and as Ryan was saying, like if Bungie had released this game, it was the same exact game, but just for some reason it had Bungie's name on it. I think the some of that discourse would have been a little different too, honestly. Yeah, can we talk about as well? Because uh, Marcus, you you started to to go down this road. I'd be curious, actually, your opinion since you came to it as part of the Master Chief Collection. 
I remember when I booted up the Master Chief Collection on Xbox One for the first time in, you know, 2014, Halo 4, like, you know, we because it, it, we had uh, Master Chief Collection has Halo 1 anniversary in it. It has and it had the at the time Halo 2, the brand new Halo 2 anniversary, the the new graphical pass on that. Halo 3 was mostly just up and then Halo 4, which was in 1080p as well, 108060. I'll tell you 4 with just that up it looked to me like an Xbox 1 game, like it was had been built for Xbox 1. That game Halo 4 coming in at the tail end of the 360 generation, that game looked amazing it still looked amazing as a as part of the master chief collection even though they hadn't really done anything to it but it's on a new console and it still it looked like it belonged on that console yeah i agree with that especially those uh cg cutscenes, like the big cutscene at the beginning of the game like that all still to because i was rewatching uh some story cutscenes for this and i was like no this all still looks great yeah halo 4 is a looker of a game even if you mm-hmm. play it today yeah i wouldn't kick it out of bed isn't that how the saying goes? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'm married, so I'm not touching that one. <laughs> well, let's dive into the development history then. Uh, game came out on November 6th, 2012. So cast your mind back to 2012, everybody. Other, a couple other games from 2012 were Borderlands 2, Far Cry 3, Journey. Great game. Mass Effect 3, The First Dishonored. XCOM Enemy Unknown, and then uh, Telltale's first season of The Walking Dead. Wow. A couple big yeah, hitters there. Year. Yeah. Yeah, a couple films of that year were Skyfall, the Marvel's Avengers, which felt like a huge culmination of, of oh, uh, what they were doing in the, in the theaters. And Dark Knight Rises, I'd forgot that was, we got both of those big comic book movies oh, that year. I blacked that one out. Like, just- <laughs> I did too, honestly. Christopher Nolan, why? Why'd you, how'd you do this to me? I saw it once in the theater, and I just haven't gone back. Yeah, same. We need to go really in depth, but the hype for that movie was off the charts going in. Oh, yeah. And then The Hobbit movie also came out. Talk about another disappointment. <laughs> I rewatched Ooh. that recently, actually. It was on TV. Really? I I think the first Hobbit is okay. Sure. It's not any of those Lord of Rings films, but I think it's a totally fun little fantasy movie. It gets worse as it goes. <laughs> that was that was a nine hour adapt. They took the shortest of the Tolkien books of the the shortest book and made it the longest. Made they made it nine hours of movie. Yep. If if that had been like just pared down, so like the Lord of the Rings, I think the extended editions are amazing because there's just so much material. Those four hour. Uh, extended editions are great, but the Hobbit, I would, I would pay for like, I wish Peter Jackson would, would cut together uh, a reduced cut and just like one <laughs> three hour movie. I think that movie would be better. Served. Yeah, it was supposed to be two movies originally. And then like, I think like in the final like stretch, they were like, nah, it's going to be three now. So it was supposed to be just two. They were thinking, Hey, what if we made more money? Yeah. What if we made a couple extra billion dollars? Also, Ben, did you have in your notes for this year that weren't we all supposed to die? In 2012? Oh, because it was the end of the Mayan calendar? Yeah, what happened? I think we did, and this is hell. (laughs) I think, think, (laughs) like, look at the last few years. Like, we might be dead. Mm. It might be onto something there, Ryan. Yeah. I do remember that leading up to, uh, when I was a kid, I heard about that in elementary school, and I was like, oh, that's so far off, I'll never live that long. Really? I feel like I didn't learn about that till like, 2010. Oh, really? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, they didn't teach that in my elementary school. <laughs> I don't know the if they, end of the world. I don't know how I heard about it, honestly. 
But uh, yeah, it's like, did you guys have any lingering anxiety that year of like, this probably isn't real, but. I, I lived through Y2K, so I wasn't really worried about the Mayan apocalypse. That's true. That was the modern Y2K for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I was more anxious about Y2K as well, because that felt like an actual threat. Whereas like the Mayan calendar thing was like not really a thing. Whereas Y2K was, at least there was some tech there. It's like things could collapse or something. You right. don't know. Yeah. That bad movie came out that same year too. <laughs> uh, 2012. Yeah. That was that year, wasn't it? I think it was 2012 that it came out. Pretty sure. I thought it was almost the year before. Anyway, whatever. 2012. <laughs> also, that was the year that Kim Jong-un was officially elevated to supreme leader of the North Korea. His so it father was the end died. of the world. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, New Usain Bolt also won the 100 slash 200 meter golds in back-to-back Olympics. Like this is the year that he did it in London. So that was like back-to-back Olympics that he had won. It was kind of mm. like a big deal. I remember that. Sure. Anyway, a couple of things for 2012. What a year. Never forget. And then, of course, Halo 4 comes out on November 6th. Just diving into the development history, Halo 3, which we talked about last episode, was in 2007. and then, Or we talked about a couple of episodes ago. Excuse me. And then Halo Reach was 2010. And then I had forgot there was like a this was like the start of every year for a while. There was some different Halo project going on. So as we said, Halo Reach in 2010, Halo Combat Anniversary was 2011 which was the first thing that 343 put out, which was kind of cool. I thought it was good. I, I like to go back to that old game and seeing it in new graphics. Did you guys play that? Yeah, I played a bit of it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, definitely. They uh, Now, to, to be super clear and give credit where credit's due, uh, Saber did the lion's share of the work on that. 343 kind of produced it. They were still a relatively small team at that point. Yeah, Saber Interactive uh, did that. But but yeah, it's uh, but that is sort of the first thing that 343 sort of oversaw and was credited for. They were definitely championing that. Yeah, that's a good point, though, because 343 was probably very heads down on Halo 4 at the time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that came out. And then the next year, 2012. Halo 4. So there's definitely plenty of Halo in the air, but at the same time, it felt like, oh, Halo's back. I remember feeling like Halo's back because that's the first time we'd seen Master Chief in like five years. Yeah. That's you true. remember that in- initial trailer for it? I think it might have been E3, but that cinematic trailer with uh, Chief Ben woking up. I remember thinking, as someone that didn't pl- really play the series regularly, even I was hyped seeing that. Like there was just something really like, oh man, we're back. You're like this is happening all right let's go so yeah that it was it was definitely in the air like you said yeah those halo debut trailers are always pretty good because the music is always really good so that really helps sell that intense like oh yeah i want to play some halo yeah, you described them as monks earlier ryan which made me i never considered that they could be i always wanted it to the camera to pan out and reveal that it was actually the grunts singing that song <laughs> the entire time well you might be right i might be wrong i'm not sure we, the, well, the world will never know. We got to ask Marty <laughs> O'Donnell. <laughs> uh, Halo's development was pretty interesting. Do you guys remember how Ryan Payton was a part of that project for a while? That's right. Hired away from uh, Koji Pro. Yeah. Well, technically, he left Koji Pro and then Microsoft reached out to him right after he left. So that announcement, you know, he was part of. A big part of Metal Gear Solid 4's production, he was like a producer and a big part of my understanding anyway, big part of why that game felt so westernized, you know, the the controls, you know, the way you could shoot and move, because the big joke was, you know, especially with Metal Gear Solid 3, you know, people made fun of the controls in that game, right? Because you had to stop and look 
especially the original release. Maybe I was just so used to it at that point as a Metal Gear fan, it didn't hit me as anything. But that's interesting. I didn't know the public discourse was was that. Well, four definitely played different. Is my point? Oh yeah, for sure. And Ryan went on to work on with three four three on four, and then eventually left to form Camouflage and put out uh, what Re- Republic was that was called? Yes, that Iron Man VR game. So he's yeah. done that now. But for a while, he was working on. On Halo 4, it seems like he brought some interesting ideas to the table. There's a Vice interview he did, or he was in that Vice uh, making of, where he talked about it. And he said, ever since I played Halo Combat Evolved, I've been a massive fan of the franchise. When on Halo 3 came out, I had it overnighted from Seattle to Tokyo, because he was still like working on Metal Gear at the time. And then that day, I brought it into the studio and made sure everybody, including Hideo, looked at the game closely. I knew Halo 3 was a landmark game for the industry. Some folks were really interested in the gunplay. Others were more interested in the graphics. And Hideo gets motion sickness, so he wasn't able to look at the game much. But I remember he asked me to shoot a plant near the start of the jungle. And then when it reacted, he nodded in affirmation and walked off. My work here is done. He, he approves of the Havoc, Havoc physics engine at work there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's funny. I love that. Well, and, and four was also uh, so my former official Xbox magazine colleague, Frank O'Connor, who had left uh, who left us to become the community manager at Bungie during the run up to Halo two and then three. And he stayed with the franchise. He was one of he was like employee number one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not one, but yeah, like employee number two, maybe at three, four, three. And he was he was sort of the keeper of the halo Bible of where the story was going. So yeah, yeah. it's uh that was a, that was sort of a big deal for, for him, I'm sure. And, and certainly I, I paid, I keyed very much in on that just cause I had worked alongside Frank for a while. And uh, it was just kind of made for an, an interesting connection for me to that game as well. That's cool. I didn't know you guys had worked together. That's a fun. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, he was the f- founding executive editor of official X- Xbox magazine. And yeah, I've played many, uh, many of those 5 PM halo <laughs> sessions with Frank and, uh, yeah, he'll, uh, he'll, ac- Frank's deal is he'll accuse you of cheating. If he, if he, if you beat him, uh, you can tell him I said that too, Frank, <laughs> no, Frank's a great that, guy. Frank? <laughs> Frank's a great guy. Now I was so, we were so happy to, for him to, to get, I mean, I was sad to lose him as a colleague, but, uh, was so thrilled for him when he got to go to Bungie. Seems like he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. Yeah. He was at Bungie for a while. And then he was like, uh, when they started working on destiny, he was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Maybe I kind of st- want to stick with halo. So he jumped over to three, four, three, which yeah, is there fun. Were a few. There were was not a ton, but there were a few of those Bungie folks that stayed, uh, stayed with halo on, and went to three, four, three. He, I remember, so it was during when they were demoing the anniversary edition, I remember talking to him and he was talking about this Bible they put together and they had a third party company. It was one of the first things 343 did was they hired out a company to compile all the lore that Halo had amassed at that point, which was already pretty substantial. It has even more now, I'm sure. But they put together this lore Bible and it's just super thick Bible with all the the lore for Halo in it. Uh, And he seemed pretty proud of that. But that was one of the first things that 343 did when they took over Halo because they're like, we want to honor the series. We're going to know everything we can about it. And (laughs) if anything, you want to accuse 343 of you can't accuse them of not caring about Halo. They definitely care about Halo. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They've had a respect for for that lore and and wanting to keep everything, you know, under the same umbrella. Pardon me as well. 
And uh, which is great, too. They could have said, all right, well, we're just going to reset this whole thing now that we have it and, you know, let the bungee stuff be the bungee stuff. But no, they they kept this universe that had been that had been carefully and methodically built up and and uh, had a lot of reverence for it. For sure. During development, they pretty quickly landed on the idea that they wanted to talk about the reclaimers and go back to that history, the Promethean history or they. So I, I get it mixed up. Maybe you guys know the lore better than I do, but they invented the Prometheans, but the Forerunners existed before they took over, I believe. Yes, oh, yeah. they'd always been there. Mm. Yeah, the Forerunners already existed. So they're like, we're going to create this new race of characters called the Prometheans, which ties into the Forerunner mythology. And they originally wanted six new enemy classes, and they eventually had to pare that down to three. The Watchers, which were the guys that flew around and they could put shields on people. The Crawlers, which were the dog-like critters that ran pretty fast. And then the Knights, which were big, kind of elite-style enemies. Pretty I don't know like if you the main that. guys you fight for the most yeah, part. Like a teleport. Uh, what did you guys think of the new Promethean enemies? I actually like them. I feel like they get some hate, too. I, maybe for like narrative reasons, but I think purely as enemies. I thought their design was cool. They blew up real nice when you killed them, which was pretty satisfying. And even some of their weird little transforming weapons, I thought, were kind of neat ideas. So, yeah, and like I said, the, the different shapes that came in, like I thought that the dog ones were pretty neat. And again, just different from than what we had seen with the Covenant and the Flood before that. So, and they kind of gave me um, a little bit of like Michael Bay Transformers vibes and their like design of just like feels like just a bunch of shards of metal just assembled to form a, a humanoid of some sort. but like a better version of that because I could at least discern their features a bit better. <laughs> so mm. yeah, I, I thought they were a cool change of pace. I, I would have been disappointed if they had just stuck with the covenant strictly for Halo four. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, and I, my memory of the criticisms of the Prometheans were that they were bullet sponges. So I, I my recollection is it was a, more of a kind mm. of a gameplay complaint in that, in that regard where, but the Knights in particular, took a lot to bring down but no i, I yeah. agree i i thought they were i i would not have wanted to f- just fight the flood again for, you know we exactly. spent three games doing that 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 you know angle had been played out i was happy to see this new you know this totally new enemy faction which also brought by the way brought some interesting new weapons to the fold too so yeah i again i mean i gave this game a 9.8 so <laughs> yeah i i pretty thoroughly loved it but yeah i thought the i thought the prometheans were were a nice addition to halo did you guys have any favorite weapons? Oh, man. I don't remember the names of a lot of them. There was one, like, kind of repeating. Maybe you remember Ryan better, but it was, like, what sort of, like, machine gun-like repeating laser rifle thing. I know that's the greatest description ever. <laughs> I remember using that Promethean shotgun thing a lot. That's the one I was going to say. Yeah, which I've, I've blanked on the name of it. But, yeah, the, the Promethean shotgun was the one that stands out as soon as you said that. I feel like in hindsight, some of them felt like precursors to the the hard light weapons in Halo Infinite. Scattershot. Oh, the scattershot. Scattershots, the Promethean shotgun. Right. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a fun one to use. I and I think you hit the nail on the head, Ryan, is the flood were interesting in the first game, and it felt like they kept going back to that. And at some point, it's like, okay, we've seen the flood. We know what they are. I was happy for them not to go back to that well. But uh, if you don't have them, then it feels like you have a hole where, you know, you need some more enemies. So obviously the Prometheans filled that gap. And yeah, it was nice to have that. It was also fun to see them fight the Covenant from time to time. 
You know, there mm. were a few battles there where we, they were both there and they were fighting each other, which I always like to see that in a game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Going back to the original Doom, that was one of the best parts is where you just got the you got all the monsters to fight each other. You just like piss one of them off and then disappear. And then you just go hide behind the the, the, the corner or the door and you just hear them <laughs> yelling at each other and fighting. It's the best. Yeah, those are my first memories of Doom was playing. And there was a pinky demon like running down, charging at me. And it was like, I was about to die. I was out of ammo or something. It was like an inch from me. And then all of a sudden I just see the splash of fire hit him in the back. And he's like, uh, turns around and like charges <laughs> after an imp. I was like, oh my gosh, that guy saved me. It was so good. Going back to Halo though, I got another quote from Ryan Payton. When he came on to Halo, he wanted to challenge the team to think a little bit outside the box of what Halo was. Like, let's try and push it in new directions. He says, I challenged myself and the team to think differently about what a Halo sequel should be. As a massive Halo fan, I thought the best thing that we could do was embody the spirit of Bungie to take risks. So I pushed many progressive ideas that initially got a lot of traction within the company. But then later he says, to give you an example of that kind of creativity I was interested in, Halo is 90% shooting. So what more compelling territory can we explore then than if in a mission, say, like five of Halo 4, we have no shooting? So that's the direction I sent the design team off on, which was hard for them to get excited about, he says. <laughs> so it sounds like he had some bold ideas, like let's, which I admire. I'm always for like creative ideas, but it seems like some of the team was like, ah, this doesn't really fit Halo. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Could that work, having a no shooting level in a Halo game? It didn't work in Halo 5. Uh, there were a few of those. They're very short, but they counted as missions. And and yeah, that was that was part of the issue. <laughs> like, I'm I am all for variety. Like, I think that's the only thing that that keeps me interested in the Call of Duty campaign anymore. And, and uh, let me caveat that by saying I've played, I think, every Call of Duty campaign except Vanguard. I have not played uh, this most recent one, but but like, uh, I you know, because you're going to get the form. You're going to get that same Call of Duty formula of just the the gunplay feels the same but where what makes a, a, a call of duty campaign interesting to me is some some sort of variety like the modern warfare reboot that infinity ward did a few years ago you know there were missions where you're like looking through the cameras and having to guide uh like a hostage through through um i don't know if it's a police station or whatever it was but so yeah i i love that in halo as well because you could make a lot of these same arguments with Halo. So I think it can be done. I just we did see an attempt at that in five that I just don't think went very well. Yeah, I think they're in a better position to do it now. Post infinite. I think yeah. that grapple hook opens the doors for like some really cool platforming puzzles, which infinite has some. But if they really want to push that where you, like just give me a series or like a level of like a set piece where I'm just yeah. jumping off stuff, grappling around and I don't have to shoot anything like an escape mm-hmm. sequence or something like that. Well said. I mean, look at Doom 2016 to Doom Eternal kind of did that, like although they, you know, they kind of built it into the whole game. But there are platforming sequences specifically built into Doom Eternal that add that nice bit of variety to it. Yeah. Well, I I think that's well all well put. Yeah, I think at the time, sure, for Halo 4, it seems like there was some tension in the team and especially with Ryan's role. And then eventually Ryan sort of got pushed into instead of a full on director of the game, he got pushed into a narrative director and he kind of, you know, that's gotta be hard. Probably felt like a demotion. So he ended anyway, he ended up leaving the team and then Josh Holmes basically stepped up into that creative director role. And he's the one who helped finish the game. 
Well, Josh had been there. He was he was like employee number two or three. He was he was uh, early on. He had come from propaganda games. If you guys remember the Turok reboot. Oh, that yeah. Was, uh, that was Josh and his team's game. That's where I first met Josh was Gosh, on, a, I do on an that. OXM cover story trip. We put that Turok on the cover and I went up to Vancouver to see him. I was like, oh, wait, I was all about them bringing back Turok because I loved the N64 yeah. game. But I don't. Yeah, I don't think that quite worked Sadly, out. Sadly, yeah, that game didn't didn't pan out super well. But in any case, uh, yeah, no, Josh, uh, I, I don't know what his original role on Halo 4 was, but you're right. He did end up kind of being being the the more or less the project director by the end of it when he was he was an important person to have in that game and brought some important ideas i know one of the things there was a b story at the time they were thinking of having cortana basically what became her dealing with rampancy she was going to start to degrade and have to explore explore what it's like for her to degrade over time and then devolve into basically dementia and they at one point were thinking about cutting that storyline for time, but Josh really championed that because he, around the same time, and he's he's been out there saying this, uh, his mother was diagnosed with dementia, oh, and so he got to sort of experience that in his own personal life, and so it felt very personal to him, and he felt like this is this is something that brings an emotional level to our story that we should include. What did you guys think of that element of the storyline? Wow, I mean, knowing that now, geez. No, I loved it. Like I said, that was, I think that was the most I took the story seriously, and, like the stakes of it. I think Janona's performance, this Cortana really sells it, like the time where she like just loses it and then she immediately apologized. Like I think of the scene in the, um, on the, uh, on the ship, the infinity ship where she freaks out and then, you know, was it Del Rio kind of orders her to get deleted right there on the spot. And she's like apologizing like that sort of emotional beat. I was totally on board for because I felt it. So, yeah, I think it was a great idea to keep that in there. I can't say it better than Marcus. Yeah, I, I was not aware of that, of that uh, personal life uh, connection that Josh had to it. And and I think that's you can look. There's so much great art that comes out of those kinds of unfortunate real life situations where where an artist will will translate that or you know try to process and interpret that through their art. So, yeah, I mean, I I agree completely with Marcus. I mean, that that really was I mean, that that was the heart of Halo 4 for me. That's a big reason why I, I love the game as much as I did. So um, I'm very glad he he was able to convince the team to to keep that that storyline and, and really double down on it. And I think it clearly history would show that that was the correct decision for Halo 4. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I think back when I think back about that game story, that's the part I remember. The stuff about the didact and like with the librarian, like that stuff I I don't really remember very well or like the nuts and bolts. But the stuff about Cortana and the chief, like that's like the core heart of the story in my mind. Oh, for sure. I'd honestly forgotten that stuff until I was revisiting it for this episode. Like, oh yeah, the main villain was this weird guy with some weird teeth that are distracting. There's some Didact fans out there, though, I know. Okay. Please shout them out. <laughs> uh, Kyle. I don't know who Kyle is. I'm sure he's a fan, though. Marcus, since we're always talking about the story, you want to dive into it? Yeah. Set four years after Halo 3, of course, at the end of that game, uh, Chief and Cortana find themselves pretty much stranded in space aboard half of the Ford onto Dawn. Uh, and then we see them floating uh, towards the planet Requiem. And they kind of get caught in its gravity well. And the game opens with the Covenant, or at least a splinter faction of the Covenant, boarding the ship. 
and it kind of forces Cortana to wake Chief up so that he could fight out of there, which is a pretty solid introduction, I think, to the game, especially because they don't throw the Prometheans at you immediately. They kind of start you off with, you know, like enemies you know and love. So I was like, okay, that's a nice way to kind of get back on the wagon. So, you know, eventually they crash on the home world and that's where they encounter the Promethean Knights for the first time. And it's also the first instance that we see of Cortana malfunctioning. And like you said, Ben, she eventually reveals that she has a condition called rampancy, which is basically that AIs apparently have a seven year life cycle and that she was on her eighth year, which I was doing the math in my head of like, okay, so because four years have passed. So I guess. I was like, I was wondering, like, how much time has passed between, like, the original Halo trilogy, exactly? Yeah, like four years, right? Yeah, roughly. So I just like, remember the first, the first one was 2552, and, but I don't remember the, the years for the other, uh, the other three, or the other two uh, original trilogy games. Yeah, because two and three would have to be pretty, like, pretty much they back were back to back. back. Yeah. yeah. Basically just continuing the same story. Right. Yeah, I was just using that as reference just to try to get an idea of like how long have her and Chief just been together at this point? Just trying to measure like, oh, how close would they be? Yeah, just- well, eight years, right? Or I guess, do we not know how old Cartana was when she was given to Chief? Uh, I don't think, at least not that I know of, like her age or anything exactly. I mean, I know she knew of him when he was a kid, right? Just through dialogue that she says later on in the series. Is that just Halsey's well, memory? No, I mean, or is I, that I, Halsey yeah, I- just... Yeah, I, I think she's because those AIs were developed specifically for the Spartans, were they not? I, I think she, yeah, Cortana was paired up with Chief like right away as soon as he's augmented and and kitted out and given his Mjolnir armor and ready to roll. I think there's going to be a Halo lore expert out there that's going to correct <laughs> me on some finer detail, which is which I completely understand. That sounds about right. I haven't read that first book in like 20 years, but yeah. I feel like I remember that book. There's a scene where he gets Cortana gifted to him and he's like, Oh, this is what AI can do. And then he's super badass. And it is, it's always funny to, to go back to, you know, uh, as you guys may be aware, Bungie famously in the history of their studio, they're, they're sort of obsessed with the number seven. So there, you know, there were seven halo rings, the uh, life expectancy of Cortana of the AIs are seven years. Even as you were talking, as you were, you guys were explaining, going through the lore, I I'm even wondering if, like the fact that Halo One set in the year twenty five fifty two, I wonder if that's on purpose of two plus five is seven and then five plus two is seven. Oh, wow, it's You're like there's right. just wow. are, those sevens are all over the place uh, in Halo, and even even like oh, if Halo Four is set four years after Halo Three, which is like just <laughs> like a seven there. So again, maybe I'm going too far into it. But We're in full tinfoil hat mode now. Yeah, you can you can really get get into it with the with the sevens because Bungie. I mean, Bungie will tell you that they're they've got a thing for the number seven. It's not a secret. Do you know why that is? I think I have heard that, but do you know where that originates from? Why they I, love sevens so much? I don't know. It goes back. I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of those old uh, old Bungie hands a lot over the years, uh, but. I don't know if I've ever actually asked them what the deal, any of them, what the deal is with with the number seven. But I mean, it's you know, there's a lot of people that have lucky numbers and seven is always regarded as a lucky number. So it may just be that they probably were all in their early 20s when they founded Bungie and just thought it was kind of funny. For all I know, you think they just really respect it because seven, eight, nine. (laughs) They're terrified of it. (laughs) Halo seven likes. 
Halo 7, I guess that already exists, right? Would that be infinite at this point? Or no, I guess well, it'd be six. I mean, not Reach. in the main line. I mean, infinite six. Yeah. Sixth main line game. Yeah. Reach is like, I don't, you know, Reach is, zero. I mean, it is, but it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not a Master Chief game. So that's what okay. I mean by main line. I'm thinking like Halo 7 is going to be wild when we get there. But yeah. So basically Cortana is breaking down and she is going to die. I think the way she describes it is kind of terrifying where she's like, you know, basically an AI thinks themselves to death because <laughs> their entire database of knowledge, pretty much they just lose control out of it. So maybe at random times, they'll just bring something up from your past or just something about anything. And it just, you know, like, again, that dementia thing is so accurate <laughs> it makes it a lot darker now knowing that but you know chief pretty much makes his admission like hey we're gonna get back to earth we're gonna take you to dr halsey and she's gonna fix you no matter what you know and then we get the line that um i know alex van aken gi video editor is a huge fan of and i think he said it made him cry when he first heard it or or tear up or something like that i know he loves it but you know he makes this promise and cortana says don't make a girl a promise that you can't keep yeah that, i want to say there's a scene too where He's like, we'll get you back. We're going to fix you. And she says something like, what if you can't, chief? And then he doesn't respond. And I remember that being kind of chilling. Mm. I mean, Master Chief, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's the closest you'll ever get to him saying, like, I can't do something right. Because uh -huh. he, 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 he just does not. That is just like, he's literally not even wired to even entertain the idea of failure. Right. right. He's just like, no, it's going to happen one way or another. So, yeah, I think that is, like I said, that is creepy or not even creepy, but yeah, it's a little concerning that even he can't say like, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good, I think we've all been there, like where something bad has happened or is happening to you and you just, you're kind of in that denial state and you're like, I don't want to believe this is going to happen. I'm going to fix it. And yeah. so it's, it, it adds a bit of humanity to chief that we haven't had in the past. He's just always felt like this cyborg warrior, this unfeeling machine. And that definitely, like, I can resonate with him in this yeah. game. Yeah, well I, said. I think this is the first Halo story, too, where that, I think we talked about the dynamic between the two of them where, you know, Chief's the human, she's the machine, but it's always felt like the opposite and that Cortana mm -hmm. feels like she has more humanity and he always felt more machine-like. And I think it comes through the most in this story because you know she's incredibly emotional throughout the story and is just doubting herself and doubting chief and everything around her but she still wants to help and you know he's he's like he's having a hard time emotionally processing what's happening here and the only thing he knows how to respond is the way he responds to everything of like no we're just gonna we're gonna do it i just know it you know wow i never really thought about it like that that's a really that's a really interesting way to yeah now you, you're making me love halo 4 even more now retroactively. <laughs> that's that's such a great connection that you that's awesome yeah it's uh it, yeah I, I like this game story a lot and i think re, like revisiting it for this made me appreciate it even more so yeah eventually the uh unsc intercepts their signal that becomes a problem because they don't want the ship infinity to get dragged into the same gravity well that they did so they go to stop it eventually they meet captain lasky as well as sarah palmer who was a Spartan four. I believe she was one of the very first candidates for the Spartan four program. And we talked about in Halo reach that program was co-founded by Jun. I believe it's Jun. You pronounce it. Who was the only survivor from noble team from Halo right. reach to get. That's right. So Jun or June, I don't remember now. Yeah. I always, I feel like in my brain, I go back and forth. <laughs> I, I feel like it might be June. Yeah. June is what's in my head, but I may be remembering that incorrectly. 
I think I get it mixed up with Tekken because I always say John Kazama <laughs> since growing up as a Tekken fan. So I was like, oh, I think that's how you say it. But yeah, I feel like it might actually be June. Correct us <laughs> if you're a big Jun fan out I'm there. I'm just typing in the comments right now. But yeah, they go to deactivate some comm jammers. And uh, as Chief does that, he accidentally releases the Didact, who is a forerunner warrior who hates man because he believes that humanity is unworthy of the mantle of responsibility, which that in itself is sort of a forerunner philosophy where basically it's about passing down knowledge and then also kind of your position as like the dominant species in the galaxy. You're just like the space dad. You're the one who's kind of like shepherding the universe and like making sure other societies are doing okay, right? Pretty much. Yeah, like almost like a weird pantheon. Like you guys are the new Olympus. You're the gods. And like before them, the precursors passed the mantle on to forerunners. And then the forerunners are going to pass it down to humans once they hit a certain point in their evolution. But the didact was like, nah, you guys aren't worthy of it. So I'm just going to wipe all you guys out. And he takes control of the Prometheans and some of the Covenant as well. And Infinity gets attacked. They get dragged into Requiem anyway. But eventually, uh, Chief destroys the gravity well. And it's there that he's contacted by a character called the Librarian, who is a uh, reveals herself as the wife of the Didact. And basically just doles out his backstory saying, like, yeah, you know, when the flood was a problem... The forerunners were kind of torn on how to deal with them because we couldn't find a way to, you know, in a weird sort of parallel to today, we like we we're trying to find like a vaccine basically for biological life, and we couldn't find one. So uh, the Didact's plan was like, what if we use this device called the Composer to just turn our warriors into Promethean knights because they'll be immune to the flood because they're basically like machine people, and we'll just make more of those because. He made his army, but didn't think he had enough. So then he started turning humans into Prometheans, and the librarian was not cool with that. So she locked him up for eons, basically. And, you know, she's telling Chief all this. And she eventually was like, hey, you know, if you want to beat this guy, I'm going to have to accelerate your evolution. Like, you know, everything that's been happening with human development, you're kind of the embodiment of that, but you're still not quite there. So I'm just going to hit the fast forward button on that. And it's going to make you immune to the composer. So you can't get turned into a Promethean Knight. And then it's going to be on you to go stop this guy. Again, pretty much this whole scene's like a giant exposition dump. It was. Yeah. And I remember not really catching the bit about her transforming chief's DNA. Like that was the part when I first played it the first time, I remember just sort of like that glossed past me, but She's just trying to protect him so he's immune to the composer because it gets turned on later in the game and he it doesn't affect him. Yeah. But it's weird that like this thing happens to you and I, you would think in a lot of other games you'd get some like power out of it, but you still just perform the same function. You're still yeah, chief. I, I thought so too. And even then, I still wonder if it didn't do something to him. Like maybe it's like subtle, but you know, it definitely wasn't like you're a super saiyan now. <laughs> you can do all these things that you couldn't do. That's before. why you can run now. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you, humans I mean, had not evolved yet to spread. Yeah, three, three, four, three's never really gone back and done anything with that in five or in infinite. Kind of like, yeah, remember that whole uh, DNA modification thing when we fast forwarded your evolution? Forget, forget about that. This was like <laughs> that episode of Dragon Ball on Namek when Gohan and Krillin got their power unlocked by the the elder. 
this is a very deep cut unless yeah, you're a Dragon yeah. Ball fan. Uh-huh. But it's essentially the same thing, which also that didn't really go anywhere in that show. But yeah, just real quick, the Didact, just as a character, as a villain, what do you guys think? Like I mentioned before, he's pretty imposing, except for the two weird teeth he's kind of got come out of his mouth, like a mini walrus. Do you guys like him? I don't know. I didn't hate him. I like the name Didact. I think it sounds cool. Yeah, it's I, I don't know if anybody would point to the Didact as a great villain, but I also don't think he's particularly terrible or bad in any way. It's just you're a villain. I'm going to fight you at the end of the game and it's going to be fun. They set him up and at the end of the game, it's sort of not clear that he's dead. And I think officially he's not dead at the end of this game, right? No, he, like you don't technically kill him. He dies somewhere else. He kind of like falls into a portal or maybe he's still out there. But anyway, they set him up. I thought they were setting him up as like the big bad for this new trilogy because they were were positioning this as, hey, it's the Reclaimer saga. It's a new Reclaimer trilogy originally. And then they changed the wording and said, oh, no, it's a Reclaimer saga. I think so they wouldn't be penned into three games specifically. They could go more. They could go less. And ultimately, they kind of went less. Can't wait to play Halo Infinite and see what happens with the Didact. But that's what it seemed like. (laughs) And really, I didn't even realize it until Halo 5 came out. And then you're like, oh, the Didact's not a thing anymore. It just seems it felt abandoned. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Bannon Chief's super blood that he has now, I guess, is just kind of up in the air. So, yeah. I know DNA. Oh, I like that. (laughs) So to get back to the Infinity, um, we meet Captain Del Rio, who turns out is a giant D-bag. Pretty much he just wants to go back to Earth. You know, Chief and Cortana tell him everything they see. He doubts it, especially because of Cortana's rampancy. He's like, well, how can I take anything you say seriously? Even though they're insisting like, hey, this is a problem. We got to warn everybody. Um, we should. St-. In fact, they were like, we could stop him right here because we repelled his little army. He's pretty vulnerable. And Del Rio's like, nope, not doing that. We're going home. And this is, again, this is kind of the first time you see Chief kind of pitted against the UNSC. He's always been portrayed as a, you know, good soldier, follows orders, all that stuff. This is the first time you like, not getting into a shouting match, or at least, I mean, Del Rio's like screaming at him. Chief <laughs> doesn't, but it's like the closest you see him getting aggravated with like a superior, which I, again, I, I like that new side of him. And, and going back to this game being pretty much the Master Chief's show, kind of adding more layers to his personality of like, okay, he is willing to, like, he is not a brainless soldier, basically. Like, he, he has an opinion. And if he knows something is wrong, even if it's coming from his side, he'll point it out. And he'll do what he thinks is right, which I think is a cool, like just a cool character trait for him. Well, Master Chief punched Del Rio and his head just turned into a cloud of red <laughs> mist because he's a giant super soldier with, with strong armor. And oh, my blood. God. Yeah, you almost have to hope he doesn't have anger problems. It's like if <laughs> Superman had anger problems and he just like, right, just punches a hole. It's like you, you go to punch a hole in a wall, except you punch the building and it collapses. Right. Yeah, uh, that scene is intense, too, because. Uh, you know, this is that the same scene where, you know, they're debating and the Cortana just freaks out like she like gets really angry and yells pretty much like thinking out loud, saying like, you know, they've never cared about you, chief. And this giant rant and she like turns red and it like makes the ship bug out for a bit. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And then she immediately starts apologizing, saying she didn't mean to. And then that's when because, you know, at this point, she's kind of revealed that she's degrading in front of everybody. So that's a problem. And so Dorio's like, yeah, you know, delete her, basically, you're done. And then Chief doesn't let him. 
and he's like screaming at Chief. And again, when you, you that Superman comparison is apt because I remember watching this and thinking like I like I guess this guy's confident that nothing's going to happen to him, but like that's that takes some balls to just <laughs> scream at this guy who could easily break you in half. He's supposed to flick you and you're dead. Yeah, he's like up in his face and everything, and she's just staring at him. And I was like, you, but you want him to do it too, right? Like you want to see him punch this guy out. You're like, this dude sucks. <laughs> so, and but I mean, Chief's response is probably even better because he just very calmly says, like, no, nah, we're just, like, doesn't even say, like, no, I'm going to do the opposite of what you're telling me to do. He just starts barking orders to Lasky, who's like the cool subordinate that kind of gets what's really at stake here and just turns away from this, like, hey, Lasky, yeah. Uh, let Earth know that this threat's coming. We're just going to go deal with that. Like, pretty much just ignores Del Rio, and he's just standing there like, what? What the hell? <laughs> so We don't see these guys again, right? After this game? I think Lasky shows up Lasky, in five. Lasky's been around, yeah. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. I, Del Rio, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. I know he's in for the duration of this game, at least. So yeah, they uh, pretty much the plan is that they're going to follow the didact to Halo Ring Installation 3, because that's where the composer has been moved to. They get there, but then they find out that it's uh, specifically it's been moved to the Ivanov Research Station. They go there to retrieve it, and then the Covenant attacks. And then during the skirmish, the didact gets the composer, and he activates it there, which turns everyone except for Chief into uh, Prometheans, basically. And so it's kind of the first display of like, oh, that's what this thing can do. All right. This is a problem. Halo 4 on installation 3 adds up to 7. Oh, oh my God. Go oh. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going this is, with this. This is called turning into Call of Duty Black Ops. The, the numbers. <laughs> numbers, Mason. <laughs> so the chief follows the didact to Earth. And that pretty much leads into the climax of the game. There's a big battle. And with the Infinity's help, he takes a nuclear warhead onto the Didact ship and uh, Cortana manages to drop the ship's shields because she makes like a bunch of copies into herself, which pretty much just overrides the computer systems. But the Didact plans to use the composer on Earth to turn everybody there into robots, which may not be so bad as a fate. You know, I don't know if you retain your like consciousness or your humanity at all when you're a Promethean. The singularity. Yeah. Like what if you like what if you got to keep your mind and everything that you, was you, but you got to become a cool floaty robot guy? Right? Did they ever stop and just say, "Hey, Didac, uh, the we dealt with the flood. They're not around anymore. We don't need to do this anymore." Wasn't that the original reason he wanted to turn everybody into the machines? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't think so. As far as like look, reading this back, I don't think that ever gets brought up. Man, what if that was it? What if that was all he needed to hear? He's like, "Oh, okay, well." Oh, all right. Why didn't, why didn't you say so? <laughs> I was doing all this work for nothing. We can maybe turn this into, I don't know, decommission it or something. Yeah, that's a, wow, that's a good point. But no, sadly, instead, Chief, you fight the Didact and you beat him, but you don't kill him. Like we said, he falls into a portal that's beneath the composer. So this leaves Chief to have to activate the warhead. But Cortana, in a pr- probably the f- most famous moment of this game, and was kind of the most spoilery thing about this game is that she sacrifices herself to save him. So she kind of gets him out of there and stays behind to detonate it. And Cortana, quote unquote, dies. And, you know, the ship gets destroyed. Didact is question mark. And all is saved for now, except for, you know, Master Chief's not too happy. He's 
mourning Cortana. Again, you kind of get a little bit more emotion out of Chief here than it's a good scene, like uh, yeah. her saying goodbye to him. Like that's I remember feeling a little bit emotional. I was like, eh, they did a well, good job I, with that. And I love the I don't know if you'd call it an epilogue of the game, but that sort of last cutscene where Chief is just standing on the you know he's he's just back on the ship and yeah. and he's just kind of like looking longingly out into the void and you know he's just like the only friend he's ever had basically mm. is gone or at least you know his i mean i guess there's you know there's blue team which would that would they would factor in in halo 5 uh, in a way that you know was not deserving of their portrayal from the books but that's <laughs> sort of just throwing in poor halo 5 cheap shots as we go here but uh but no for like it's yeah he's just like he's experienced this loss and you're just kind of like you just are kind of given a moment at the end of the game to to take that in with him. And mm. I always I always thought that was a, a great way to end the game. Let me ask you, Ryan, I think we touched on this in a previous episode, but throughout all the games up to this point, did you ever feel like there was a like a romantic implication no. between those two? Or did you always thought it was platonic? You know, I wouldn't discount anyone's theory or or if that's their interpretation. But th- that was never how I looked at the at the story or their relationship at all. Okay. I don't think chief is even like capable of thinking that way. You know, he's just been, he is this, he knows his job and it is not to feel things in any (laughs) emotionally, (laughs) sexually, whatever, like this guy. Yeah. In any way, shape or form, it's his job to protect humanity and, and, uh, be a, a super soldier so he's a blunt instrument yeah i don't i don't think it's uh, i don't look at it as the relationship ever having gone there or had that in any way shape or form yeah i agree with that i think he's the ultimate definition of being married to your job <laughs> well but i mean we again i don't know we know we rehash a conversation we had in a previous episode but like this relationship between the two of them is the closest relationship they've ever had with anybody it's like a deep right. deep companionship which yeah. You know, sex isn't a thing for them, but in spite of that, it's about as close as you can be to another entity, I think. Yeah, especially one that technically isn't alive. Yeah, I think they can love each other. It's just not a, you know, it's a romantic still a platonic thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I, I think you could classify it as love. Yeah, I would. Yeah, especially on her end, for sure. And so we get two post credits scene here. Uh, the regular post credits scene. We see that the didact did survive and he kind of goes through a big old monologue proclaiming the forerunners as the custodians of the galaxy. And he says that humanity is the greatest threat to uh, the universe and he's going to take them out. And then if you beat the game on legendary difficulty, which I did not, I had to look this up after the fact you get a space. Yeah. You get to see chief kind of go back to a home base, I guess. And, get de-armored and undressed and all that stuff. And you get a very brief, very up close shot of his face for the first time. And by, by face, I mean, you really just his get eyes. to see his eyes. Yeah. And even then you don't even really get to see his eyes. Cause they're all like shadowy, but I mean, obviously it's way more than we've ever seen of his face up to this point. If you're not counting the comic books where you see him as a kid and stuff, but did you guys beat the game on legendary at the time? Or was this something that you had to be told about and look it up later? Or? I don't remember. Actually, I remember. I know I watched the scene. I don't know if it was from beating it on legendary because I my first run is typically always on heroic. It was for infinite. I think it has been since mostly the beginning. 
But yeah, I don't know if I went back and replayed it because I did play that campaign more than once. If it, but anyway, yeah, I, I remember seeing it. And, and uh, I mean, I, I had read all of the books up to that point. I've mm-hmm. I've tailed off since and I haven't read the more recent ones. But, you know, if you read the books the he he and the other Spartans are described as these like almost ghostly pale people because they're in the armor all the time and their skin just literally never sees sunlight yeah. like Darth Vader and return of the Jedi. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So I, I was not surprised by the, the, you know, the, the eyes that you get in that legendary cutscene Cause it's like, Oh yeah, well we knew they were real pale. He's a real pale dude. He's a pale kid. What is it? Garbage pale. kid. <laughs> well, we know he was like redheaded, right? He's like kind of rust hair freckles yeah. as a kid. I didn't beat the, it beat it on legendary. I don't think ever, but yeah, I remember seeing that scene probably on YouTube or something. Yeah. Did you like it? We're like, cause I feel like there's like two camps. Like some people will swear, like we never should see his face or we don't need to see his face. And then there's a camp that's like, we want to see the face. <laughs> I don't hate, I don't, I actually don't care. You can show me his face or not at this point. <laughs> like his helmet is his face. In it's, my it's mind. like Dr. Claw on inspector gadget, right? Like you never, should you ever see his face? You see kind of the shadow of his face at one point And it's, yeah, you're like, would it ruin the character if I knew what exactly what it looked like at all? Or, well, it's they've described it in books again. So it's kind of like, what's I don't know, why does it have to be a secret? But it's been a secret for so long that that almost becomes like a thing. Like, yeah, maybe we should never see his face. I wonder though, because like right now we got the book of Boba Fett, and you know, I mean, Mandalorian's the first time you really get to see his face, but you know, that show, he's like unmasked for so much of it and that character for decades you never saw his face right and that was kind of part of his mystique and then in the show at least for me this is me personally seeing it seeing him without his mask it, I'm like oh no he's still like cool and like it didn't diminish anything for me i'm like yeah like boba fett's still a badass and in a way maybe this even makes him a little cooler because you get to see his expressions and you know it helped like at least the person they chose for that role i'm like yeah he I don't know what I ever thought he looked like, but this is probably this fits for some reason, like his expressions and just his general appearance. Like, yeah, that's Boba Fett. I'm cool. So I wonder if they for a future Halo game, if they went the Boba Fett route and just I mean, he doesn't have to have the whole game where like half the time he's not wearing a helmet, but just show us his face for like a scene. Would it really like evaporate? <laughs> any of that coolness? I, it would be totally, yeah, I would be fine with them if it's done in the like a a way that respects this buildup that we've had for this long. Like, um, you know, if it's if it's some point and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because fans have very much made it clear with again, I mean, it was made clear with Halo 5 where 343 tried to, you know, bring Locke in and, and uh, you know, diminish the role of chief. The, the fans have made it clear that they want to play as Master Chief. But if at some point down the way, 343 kills him off. Uh, and and brings, you know, has you play somebody else and hands the mantle of Halo off to somebody else. I think it'd be kind of neat to have that be like, you know, as part of the part of the goodbye. Yeah, we should have like an old man chief where he's like your wizen, I don't know, teacher. I mean, he's already like 50 or, you know, he's not, he's, I mean, which isn't old, but it's not young either. I, I always forget that he's technically, he's almost ARP qualified. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to start getting those magazines. Soon. Yeah, I mean, M. Sam Fisher, you know, there there's some <laughs> shout out to my my fellow middle aged heroes in gaming. 
Yeah. Well, I guess he's like Captain America, right? Where he kind of ages slower, I, I assume. Captain America in an Iron Man suit. Maybe that's the super blood that he got from the librarian. He's just not going to age for, you know, he's going to age much more slowly. We don't that's know. That's how they bring it back. They tie back and like, oh, that's why he's not aging. Yeah. But I think that's a I think that's a cool ending, um, especially for beating on a legendary ending. I I can think of fewer rewards, <laughs> more satisfying than getting to see some of his face. Sure. The other thing I want to bring up real quick, we won't spend too much time into it, but there's technically a second story in this game, which is the Spartan Ops story. Did you guys play Spartan Ops? Whole thing. It was not great. Yeah, that is. So it started out. I was a fan of the firefight mode from three and reach. And they initially had started as like, here, we're going to take firefight and make a story out of it. Mm. And it kind of became came to replace firefight, essentially the Spartan Ops mode. And on paper, it sounds cool because it's a four-player co-op mode where you're helping each other out and there's story in it. So on paper, it's cool. But then I remember playing the first couple episodes and not being super jazzed about them. The the missions themselves were kind of generic and the yes. story I wasn't into. Like the, the quick sort of spark notes version of the story is that it's six months after the campaign. It pretty much focuses almost entirely on Dr. Halsey, who manages to come to contact with a lady or an alien named jewel Imdama. i'm assuming i'm saying that wrong adama from battlestar galactica yes the ultimate crossover actually that could work probably but uh she refers to herself as the hand of the didact basically and she's leading the prometheans in the covenant uh as well and they capture requiem and basically through a series of events halsey gets arrested the two of them are communicating Along the way, come to an agreement of like, hey, you know, we both kind of want the same thing here. How about we just work together? Uh, Sarah Palmer, we mentioned before, plays a big role in this. There's it's uh, a scientist who gets kidnapped by Mdama to try to uncover some secrets behind some forerunner technology. Um, but it's it's more or less Halsey defecting from the UNSC, seemingly, because she ditches them and goes with Donna by the end of this game. She also gets her arm blown off as well by Palmer. That's where that happens because she shows up in five and she's missing an arm and you're like, wait, what? Because <laughs> for somebody who like cops, it's like when C-3PO shows up, he's got a red arm but less cool. <laughs> she should have had a red arm for this. That would have um, been cooler. Uh, that would have been the same year, actually. Halo 5 is uh, Force Awakens, so that would have been even funnier. Um, oh, the, I think the other major thing, just narratively, is that there's an artifact called the Janus Key that is supposed to be able to find all forerunner technology in the universe that's kind of the center of this because uh how convenient <laughs> and it's two pieces halsey gets both of them but almost immediately after she gets it uh Mdama takes the other one and then you know by the end they get together so it's like oh what are these two gonna do with that now yeah ryan you, it sounds like you played them all yeah we we covered them uh mitch dyer and i ran them at, every time as they came out on ign and it's yeah it, you, you already said it well, Ben, it's it, it was really good on paper. It just didn't work in practice, unfortunately. The uh, it was mostly just a lot of generic gameplay is mm. is what it came down to. And those those story rewards that that you just walk through, Marcus, they were just too far, few and far between. It's it's unfortunately it's a feature where Spartan Ops, you're better off just like just watch it on YouTube. Like, just watch the whole yeah. thing, the the narrative bits, and skip the gameplay. Yeah, it's. I, I would. I would love to see them. I mean, 
you could you could make a a reasonable sort of defense of three four three on on Spartan Ops and say they were kind of ahead of their time, like in in the sense of something like that could work really well if it were executed and implemented a little better now. Now that you have Halo Infinite, that's this live service game that's meant to be supported and played and built upon for many years. But it just, you know, back then with the kind of it just didn't didn't quite pan out at the for the at the time. Yeah, well, I know we're we're getting close to the end of our time here. Any final thoughts on on Halo 4? And we didn't talk a ton about multiplayer if that's a thought that, you know, I know you had loadouts this time. It definitely felt like a response to Call of Duty in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that people trickled off multiplayer pretty quickly. I don't remember people playing it for a super long time, which is kind of sad. Yeah, it it uh, definitely was kind of chasing the dragon, the Call of Duty dragon at that point. But there were some there were still really good, some good maps in there. You know, as I talked earlier about for me, I mean. There's a lot I think about when I thought Halo multiplayer and why it's always meant a lot to me and why I think it's been outstanding for so long. And the maps are a huge part of that. And you had um, you had Exile, which was this great big team battle map. You had uh, you had Haven, which was a really neat, symmetrical uh, sort of forerunner map. You had um, well, there's there's one other one, one other really good map uh, that I loved that I'm blanking on now. It was complex yes there were good maps but yeah the the loadouts and it just didn't quite didn't quite get there uh didn't didn't quite grab people for the long haul the way that that five would do a much better job of on the multiplayer side later yeah for comparison the call of duty this year would have been black ops 2 mm. which is tough competition up, which yeah, was i really like black ops 2 yeah is that it on halo 4 then it's it's I think a good game. I think we're pretty positive on it. It came out Ryan, as you said, you gave it a nine point eight, which is a very yes. strong score. Matt Miller reviewed it for us. He gave it a nine two five, yep. which is also a good score. I I I fight for it as being a solid game. You know, I think it's a worthy campaign, at least. Me too. I think we've effectively scrubbed all the unnecessary hate off this game. Right? We've we've convinced people to give it another shot. It's right, right there on Game Pass in the Master Chief Collection. Go play it if you haven't played it. That is true. That's, right. That's been the nice thing about this series. We're like, hey, go play it. It's right there on Game Pass. Got <laughs> all these games. It's like if you play this, I've heard people say play this and just hey, forget that five exists and you'll <laughs> you'll enjoy the story more. You easily could skip five and jump right into infinite and it almost wouldn't matter. Yeah, actually. Pretty much. At, the, at this yeah. point. Yeah. There's like I mean, I guess I don't want to get into spoilers for infinite for anybody that hasn't finished it yet. But there's there's not a lot there. Not there are not a lot of like direct, important callbacks to five within within infinite. Yep, for sure. Well, I think that's going to do it for us then. Thanks for being on today, Ryan. Happy to be here. Yeah. Good to talk Halo with you guys. Yeah, it's been fun for sure. Thanks, everybody out there for listening to this episode. Please. Like and subscribe, leave us a review as usual. You can write in at podcastgameformer.com if you want to leave us a love note or something. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. You can follow me at Marcus Stewart 7, which is the, num- the number 7. Excuse me. See, 7, there it is again. Oh, <laughs> you're a Halo fan. Too. <laughs> That's perfect. And I'm at DMC underscore Ryan on Twitter if you want to tell me how bad my Halo opinions are. Anything else you want to promote, Ryan, before you go? 
Uh, well, you know, we do our Xbox show every week on IGN podcast unlocked. If, uh, you, if you, if you thought, Hey, I like this guy, I want to hear more from him. I know that probably didn't happen, but just in case, <laughs> oh, come on, you find me there. And if you, uh, are into electric cars, specifically Tesla's, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've always been a car guy my whole life. The DMC and my Twitter handle is cause I used to own a DeLorean. So that was my dream car that I was lucky to have for a long time. And used to, what happened to it? Uh, well, uh, uh, a, mar- a marriage, a kid and a mortgage happened to uh. it, <laughs> but Hey, no, it like that's, I was, I owned my DeLorean my entire twenties. I had it for 12 years from when I was 19 to 31. That's pretty geeky. It was a dream. That's yeah, amazing. Like, most, a lot of people, if they're fortunate, if they're car people and they're lucky enough to own their dream car, it, it often comes much later in life. And I was lucky I had it in my twenties. And it was uh, I wouldn't trade it for a thing. And um, yeah, I, I sort of just kind of fell down. You don't that, need to go back in time. Right. I fell down that same uh, rabbit hole that I had fallen down with DeLorean with with Tesla. I just love what they're doing. I love the cars. And uh, so I do a podcast about it every week. I mean, believe it or not, there's a lot to talk about in the world of Tesla every week. So if uh, if that is of interest to you, I do a podcast with the very uh, overly silly name of Ride the Lightning. Just think about that and it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. So that's uh, every Sunday I do those. Great. Well, thanks again for being on. And that'll do it for us here today. Come back next week. We'll be talking about Halo 5 Guardians. Be on guard. R, matey. <laughs> Guardian. It might be a better game if it was about pirates. Would. <laughs> Would have been a better game. Uh, turns out Locke is just a space pirate masquerading as oh, a... Honestly, put an eye patch on him? I'm on board. Yeah, that was the post credit scene where he turned around and put an eye patch and said, call me Captain. Captain. <laughs>